All right, so uh, this is kind of an old school church question. Those of you who may have grown up in church, uh, how many of y'all, just audience participation, raise your hands if you're online. Um, how, many, how many of y'all did Bible drill as a kid? Like, you know, a, a lot of you. That's cool. Very good. Very good. All right, I feel, I feel good. I feel, I feel validated. All right, um, y'all are going to have a heads up today, all right, because uh, you, have, you have been taught uh, the basics on where the books of the Bible are. Uh, if you have your phone, uh, we're, we're going to be in a, in a lot of scripture today, which I love. Uh, it's hard to do in, in such a short time frame, and, and believe me, we could spend hours talking about this today, uh, but, uh, but we're going to be all over the Old Testament with some New Testament thrown in. Uh, two. So we're, we're continuing our series. Next Sunday is the end of, uh, of our lost series. I hope you've been encouraged by it as we've looked at all the mistakes the Israelites have made. Can you imagine if every mistake that you've made in your life is chronicled in the best-selling book of all time? Like, you almost got to feel sorry for the Israelites. See, you realize the dumb stuff they did. You go, yeah, I don't really feel, feel all that bad for them. So let's recap a little bit from last week, because remember, this is the second week of a two-parter. So if, if you weren't here Last week, uh, let me try to try to catch you up to where we are. Numbers chapter 13, uh, the Israelites arrive at the welcome mat. All right, it's the welcome mat of the of the promised land. They're ready. They're about to knock on the door. They're going to uh, they're going to cross the they're going to cross the Jordan. They're going to go into the land that was promised to them from from uh, from days gone by. And all they've got to do, all you got to do, is just send spies. Send twelve. God says, send spies in to see how many people are are there and. The land is as fruitful as I told you it was going to be. Okay, and so so Moses uh, gets uh, tribe, spies from every tribe. They go in. Uh, they, uh, they they bring back a little bit of fruit, and they uh, they they come back and and they offer a report. All right, and the report that that, that uh, ten of the spies offer is. Is uh, you know I know we're all excited. We've been waiting for this. We've been hopeful. We've been anticipatory. Um, we don't want to go in there. Okay, uh, lions, tigers, bears. Oh my! Uh, we 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 don't want this. There are people, but it's not just people. It's big people, and it's not just big people. It's people that big people that eat little people, and we're not as big as they are. And so we're like a fun size snack to them. We don't want to go. We don't go in. And Joshua and Caleb are going. Where did y'all go to? Like. We didn't see that. And if it did, it doesn't matter because God's already given us the land. We should go. Matter of fact, Caleb says we should go in directly and take the land that's been promised to us. Y'all are out of your minds. That's kind of the paraphrastic Patrick version, okay? Uh, and so, so, so now, and then we just sort of left it hanging. Like we just sort of said, okay, good. Y'all have a great week. Uh, and then we've been left to think about for the rest of this week, uh, what, what are they going to say? What are the Israelites going to do? What's the plan? Like, are they going to are they going to man up and like like get all excited and they're going to go, man, we're going to charge in because God's given us the land. You know, if they do that, and I mean, we haven't even read it yet. If they do that, that is a complete departure from every bit of decision making they've used since Jesus uh, or since God created them, right? And Jesus created them too. Um, so we need to figure out what what they're doing, right? So let's, let's look at a couple things. One, the big idea, and, and the big idea of today's message is really has nothing to do with what happens. And, and actually, it's the exact opposite of what happens. The big idea for today is that God rewards a bold faith. What you're going to see in the Israelites is not that. Okay, unfortunately, like if any of you were surprised, like I just spoiler alert, I told you what kind of what was going to go on. Um, 
But we're going to see through the process of deduction that God is going. God will reward a bold faith. We've got to. We got to roll through some negativity to get there. Let's uh, let's start reading together. Numbers fourteen. We're going to spend most of our time focally today in verses one through ten of Numbers fourteen. But the the entire chapter is great. Uh, we just don't have time to unpack it all today, and, and we need to do some, some background stuff too. So let's read verses 1 through 4. We're going to read verses 5 through 10 uh, a, little bit, a little bit later. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Now, mind you, where we had come from, all right? The, 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 the spies were saying, look, look, we're like grasshoppers compared to these people, okay? So you guys have a choice to make. Do you want to be eaten like grasshoppers, or do you want to, you know, do you want to just like... Maybe go try to find a different place that may not be as good as the promised land, but it kind of may be like the hopeful land. All right. So it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, because that's generally how it works. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would we that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? How many times have you seen through the Exodus? I mean, we're only a little bit over a year into it. Right? How many times have they said, I mean, I think it's three or four times already that we've seen where they go, why don't we just go back to slavery? Like, at least it's the sure thing. He said, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. All right, so they're wanting to throw up a coup now, okay? I mean, this is, you see what's happening, and you're beginning to see a mob mentality start to, to flow. And what I found in, in, uh, in, just in life as I've grown, uh, you see it in government, you see it in uh, politics, or in, in, uh, uh, in, in you know, just civility as a whole, or civilization as a whole, um, the mob mentality can be very dangerous, it can, it can cause issues because what happens is you have this idea called groupthink. Groupthink is when, when someone has an idea and then as the group gets bigger and bigger and bigger, everybody, you start to hear this, this echo chamber of people thinking the same way. It may be completely ludicrous, okay? But, but people begin to think that way. And so you've got Caleb on the other side going, what are y'all doing? Let's just go take the land and be done with it. What's happening here? What we're seeing is Fear beginning to overtake the people of Israel. Started with a few, right? It started with 10, and it's growing to, what does it say in the scripture? The whole congregation. So 1.3 million men plus the women, kids. All right. A couple things I want us to look at today in this passage. One is that fear is a byproduct of serial unbelief. Fear is a byproduct of serial unbelief. How quickly the excitement, the anticipation, everything that was coming up, how quickly all of that, that faith that God would provide, that God is going to give them a place, all the things that they had heard, I'm giving you, I'm giving you this land. You will be my people. I will be your God. I'll never leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm not going to walk away from you. And the people were built up. They were excited. And in that moment, when the fear struck, everything began to erode. 
Because their circumstances what, what, were not what they thought they were. Their perspective, and we talked a little bit about perspective last, last week, right? Remember, we talked about how perspective is, is going to do one of two things. It's either going to stiffen your spine when it t- comes time to make a, a big decision, or it's going to cause you to run. It's a fight or flight mentality. All right, you have a choice to make. Your perspective is going to inform your decision making. And their perspective here was that the inhabitants were too much. They were, there were too many. They were too big. And they were ultimately too much, not just for them, but from the Lord who called them out of Egypt. They forgot. What did they forget? They forgot the Lord's promise. The Lord's promise was this was their land. How do we know? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are only two things here. There is the heavens and the earth. Everything that is, God created. Which means that if God created it, it means he is sovereign over it. And if he is sovereign over it, it means he has dominion over it. And because we are co-heirs with Christ, if, because God has dominion over it, then we trust the God who, who has dominion. And if he says it is ours, then it's ours. What else did they forget, though? They forgot the past. Now, look, I don't want us to live in the past. It's easy for us to go back to uh, it's, um, the good old days. And in your mind, can y'all, can y'all, I, I can see you a little bit. In your mind, can you think of the good old days? Do, do you miss the good old days? Yeah, we do, don't we? And the good old days generationally are different for each person. Okay? But Billy Joel uh, said in a song one time, that great theologian, he said the good old days weren't always good. But tomorrow isn't as bad as it seems, right? But... It's important for us, and we talked about Winston Churchill last week, that that if we fail to learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. You don't live in the good old days because those days are gone. What's next is ahead, and, and what's ahead is what we make of it. But they forgot the Lord's provision. Go to Exodus chapter 17. If you're in Numbers, just, just a couple books back. Exodus chapter 17. I want us to, to, to understand what this history looks like so that we can see what they were missing in their perspective. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8 says that Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, come for, uh, I'm sorry, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. And fought with Amalek while Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary and so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Who are Amalek's people? The Amalekites. Who, are, who's, who is one of the largest populations in the promised land that the people of God are going to have to go fight when they cross the Jordan? The Amalekites. 
God had already delivered for them. Understand, as Moses was holding up the staff of God, all right, and as he held up that staff, God gave them the victory. They had forgotten. God had already delivered them a victory once, and they forgot it. So then the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under, he uh, from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So here's Joshua fighting uh, the Amalekites and so here's Joshua now standing next to Caleb as a spy. This guy watched, the, he took part in the battle. And as long as, as Moses' arms were raised, the Israelites won. Church, the Lord had already delivered, but the Israelites forgot because their fear had consumed them. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water? And he called Peter to walk out there with him. Matthew chapter 14. Turn there. Matthew chapter 14. But when the disciples, verse 26, saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you... Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Everything was fine until the wind picked up. Peter's gaze that was on Jesus became affected by the circumstances around him. Now, church, I don't know what's going on in your world. If you're a guest with us today, I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you heard this week. I don't know what somebody said to you this week. If you're watching online and you're just kind of at the end of, of your rope and you're hoping that there's a word from you, this is that word, is that if we fix our eyes on Jesus and make him the focus of our gaze, the circumstances around us don't seem so overwhelming. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the writer says, as we look to Jesus, the founder, the author, the one who wrote our faith, our perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Israelites became consumed with the idea that they might die before they make it to the promised land. Because they forgot the God who called them out of slavery, called them to a life that was greater than they had known. But it was more palatable to them to walk back and go back into slavery than it would be to step out in faith. Church, fear is dangerous. And Satan knows it and he uses it as a tool to keep us distracted. 
Numbers chapter 13. So we're in Numbers 14, going back to the previous chapter. We're looking at where the spies went up to. It says that they went up into the Negeb and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eskel and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. And they brought back some pomegranates and figs. It's interesting to know that the place that the spies went, they, they cut the fruit, right, to show the people that this land truly is the land of milk and honey. It is a place of... of, of uh, provision. It's a place of, of growth. They bring back the, this fruit from a place called Hebron, right? And, and you know what I love about scripture? There's always history. God doesn't do anything by coincidence. His will is perfect and his reign is sovereign. So what, what is, I had to ask myself, what, what makes Hebron so special? All right, go back to, go to Genesis chapter 15. I told you we're going to be in the Bible today. We're in the Bible every day, but we're in a lot of it today. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 12. He said, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. So, so Abram, um, and you're going to see the history of it here in just a moment, but Abram and his nephew Lot parted ways. And when, and when they, they went their separate ways, um, Abram goes into this place and he falls into this deep sleep and God gives him a vision. And in that vision is going to be what is going to be a covenant that God makes with Abram. And it's a covenant. We're not very creative people. It's the Abrahamic covenant is what it is. Um, he said, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain. Underline that. That's, that, that's what you want to remember. Okay, God is telling Ab Abram, who will become Abraham later, he said, he said, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. How many years were the Israelites slaves in Egypt? Awesome. Okay, good. So, so we know our history. So understand that, that, that this is a prophecy about where the Israelites uh, would be. All right. And so he says, but verse 14, I will bring great, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. I don't know what a good old age is, but that's when I want to be buried. So where was, where was Abram? When God gives him this dream, I'm glad you asked. Flip a couple pages back to uh, Genesis 13, starting in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. How long? Forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one could count one could count the dust of the earth your offspring also can be uh, your offspring also can be counted arise walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you so Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre which are at Hebron, oh man, this is the goods right here and there he built an altar to the Lord 
This land was always meant by God to be a place of fruit, to be a place of, of promise, to be a place for hope. But wait, there's more. We see that, that Hebron wasn't only flowing in edible ridges, it also had spiritual ridges. Flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 2. I'm out of breath, I'm out of voice. What's happening to me? 2 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I gotta tone it down. I got another service to do. After this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into the cities, uh, into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, so to which will, shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, uh, and uh, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him and everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So after King Saul's death, the Lord tells David to go to Hebron where he would be anointed as king of Judah and he would later unite the Israelite and the Judean kingdom into one united nation. This nation would, would, would set up a different king. This, it's another covenant, this time with King David. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 17. He says, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I, shall, I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Now we're talking about Solomon here, but the promise that God made to David was that the line of Judah would be the one to house not only the earthly throne, but also the kingly, royal throne of heaven. And out of that line would come a man named Jesus. We serve an unimaginably great God. Like I said, I don't know where you are today. And you're looking, I get it, you're looking for hope today. And maybe it's spiritually, maybe emotionally, maybe you're physically just lost and nobody cares or hears your cries. Friend, can I tell you, if God is going to work all of these things out for his glory, he's also going to work them out for your good. And you may feel lost, you may feel hurt, you may feel broken, you may feel like you're unheard. The Lord hears you. He hears your cries. All that he asks is that you would place your faith and your trust in him and don't fear what happens in this world because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Fear is, is rooted in this serial unbelief. But church, our faith is strengthened in an environment of complete trust in the Lord. Let's read Numbers chapter 14, verses 5 through 10 together. All right, so the Israelites were ready to go back to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, a people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh were uh, who were among those who had spied on out the land. They tore their clothes. That's important. When someone is in mourning, when someone is 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 overwhelmed, they would tear their garment. And they would cry out to God. Verse 7, said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. They're saying, don't listen to these guys. The land is good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. And then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Well, that did not go as they planned. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Even after hearing Joshua and Caleb, they, the people still wanted none of it. The way that the Hebrew uh, describes the glory of the Lord appearing. Now, mind you, under, understand at this point, they have the tabernacle, okay? So you have the, the, the manifest presence. Uh, you may hear it in some churches, the Shekinah glory, right? The Shekinah glory. All right, um, uh, this is the glory of God that sits on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. So in verse 10, when it says that the glory of the Lord appeared, that the Hebrew describes it a little bit differently in a way that English really doesn't. It says that his glory, the, his presence filtered out of the most holy place into the holy place, out of the holy place into the courtyard, past the, the, um, the, bra or the bronze laver, past the brazen altar, out of the, the, the tent and out into the people. God is desperately, and look, I know we don't like to talk about God being desperate, but understand from, from the, the, the faulty, broken uh, uh, human side, what we see God doing is God is trying as hard as he can to get their attention before there are consequences that have to take place. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of the fore, a foreshadowing of, the, of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, I need that. <clears throat> Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> I never said about water. Okay. So, so on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, that this is how, how the glory of God is radiating out of Jesus. And it would seem like it caught the Israelites off guard, but we don't see anything else about, about you know why? Because we don't see anything else. They're grabbing stones. They're grabbing rocks. They want to kill Joshua and Caleb. But yet, after the glory of the Lord appears, we see nothing about them stoning, getting stoned. The problem is, church, the people were frightened, but they weren't deterred. And there's consequences. What are those consequences? Numbers chapter 14. Skip down to verse 34. 
skipping a lot, I know that, but the majority of what we're skipping is just God talking about the judgment that's going to come upon him. We're going to summarize it here at the end. Verse 34, it says, According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, that's 40 days, uh, a year for each day you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will, this will I do to all the wicked, to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. They just had to go in. They just had to trust God and walk in. They were going to have to fight. But what we're going to find out is that they still got to fight in 40 years after an entire generation is gone. They could have walked in. They could have taken the land. But their lack of faith made them wander around in the desert for 38 and a half more years. An entire generation and I've got to believe, church, it is the generation that grumbled. Let me tell you something about grumbling, church. And we talked about this several weeks ago. I truly believe it was the grumblers that didn't make their way into the promised land. Because when we grumble, it's a sign that we don't trust the sovereign God of all creation. Let's keep going. Verse 36, and the men whom Moses sent... Hang on, i got to take a sip of water. We're almost done, I promise. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land, he says it twice, died by plague before the Lord. I've seen one too many good churches brought down by a few bad people. Some of whom may have thought they were doing right, but they weren't doing what God wanted. Friend, God deals with these people harshly because the people of Israel were his people. He was their God. The church, Jesus died for it. It is very precious to God. The ones who led the rebellion, God killed by plague. They didn't, want, they didn't get a chance to walk around. Remember, church, Hebrews 12, too, that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus authored our lifeline. He gives us the capacity to trust him, even when the circumstances seem impossible. Church, what he requires for us is to say, I'm scared, I know it. I'm afraid of what the future holds, but I, I do know the one who holds my future. And I trust him, even in the uncertainty, even when I don't necessarily agree. He requires faith out of us, faith for salvation, faith for provision, faith in the certainty, and a bold faith in the uncertainty. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 34, Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, literally mortify, kill himself. Let him die to himself, to his wishes, to his wants, to his preferences. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Friend, we are in a pivotal time in this church's history. 
There's no going back. Whatever the good old days were for you, there's no going back. What we have left is the time that we have on this earth. And I'm figuring out as I preach more and more funerals, I'm learning that we don't have nearly as much time as we think we do. Church, for Fort Caroline Baptist Church, this is not the time for fear. This is the time for certainty and faith in a known God who has shown himself faithful, who has shown himself to be who he says he is, that he does what he says he can do. And even when we're not certain, even when we're wandering around lost, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of his Father. Israelites wandered around for four decades when they could have been enjoying the fruits of the land. If only they would have trusted Jesus and had bold faith in doing it. So what do we do? For some of us in this room, We've never you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Your bold step today, your bold move that you're going to make today is going to be at the end of the service after I pray. Back in the back, you saw Pastor Matt up here earlier. He's going to be back in this next steps area. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior today, he wants to tell you how, how, how you can do that. I'll be standing down front. Come find me. I want to tell you. For some of you, your bold move is you have been presented with an opportunity and you're struggling to see whether this is God's will for your life and God is just saying, step out of the boat. For some of you today, you need to reconcile with someone that you've hurt or someone who has hurt you. Your bold move today is to trust God that the good work that God begins, he'll see through to completion. For some of you today, you've been, you've been a guest at Fort Caroline. You have been here for weeks, months, maybe even years. People may even think that you're a, a member of this congregation just because you've always sort of been around. Maybe your bold move is signing on that dotted line today and becoming a part of the family so that when your new pastor gets here, you can proudly say, I'm a part of your church family. However the Lord's leading you today, I would encourage you to, in faith, to respond in obedience, laying the fear aside and trusting God that he knows what's best. Father, we love you and we honor you. As we leave this place today, may we go knowing that while we don't see the end of the road, that you do, and that you are working things out for your glory, but also for our good. God, I pray that we would give you our lives as a living sacrifice in salvation, in trust for provision, that in all things that you, your glory, your character may be made known, that people would trust you as Savior, and that we would honor you with our lifestyles as we leave this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful day.